0: Welcome to another episode of The Student Manager, joining me from Birmingham, Alabama, Christy Still, owner of KC360. How are you doing, Christy?
1: I'm great. It's sunny here. We were just talking about the rain you guys have been having, so we're happy and somewhat warm and ready for spring, like they said, you know, this week for Groundhog Day. (laughs)
0: Yes, we are actually getting hit by a Pineapple Express atmospheric river. It's rained three straight days, so it's good for Southern California. People normally, right, high school students are used to 75-degree weather, sunny, where I'm going to go to college. Do I want to be in a snow college or do I want to be in a town that just is raining completely all the time? So this maybe the next couple of days, or the last few days, are getting a, a little accustomed to what potentially they can experience. But let's talk about why I brought you on here. We're going to talk about FAFSA, financial aid, and kind of get really into the deep things of it and how it can help a student and parent uh, through this college admission process. But first, obviously, I found you as I go on my walks here in Southern California. I'm always trying to improve and enhance how I can bring better content to my audience, the student manager. And I found you and really listened to some of the things you talked about on FAFSA, as well as financial aid. But you actually help students and parents with the college search and admission process. So that's why we are going to have you as my sponsor today. KC360, if those of you that are listening, you can reach out to Christy Still. She is out in Birmingham, Alabama. We'll give you all her content information. But Christy, how did you get started with KC360 and why?
1: I was a college recruiter for international students and expats. And in my travels, I traveled with a lot of universities, you know, all kinds of different universities. And in my travels, the more I traveled, the more I realized that access to information was really a huge challenge. And even for students that were in like a super nice high end, say, international school, you know, say they have three Guidance counselors, just the access to information and the access of time to those counselors was just really hard. And so I actually did my master's on instructional design, which is a terrible title for a master's, but basically it's online learning and education. And then COVID hit, which was, you know, so strange that it became like the way that we learn now, <laughs> even more so than before. But I left and started my own company with the goal of really focusing in on educating families of the process, because whether you're in a traditional school or not, a lot of times the process is just really overwhelming. And it's hard to find a person that can help you just explain the basics. I'm very unapologetic about the fact that I'm not, you know, an Ivy League um, select school professional. There are so many of those, and I'm not one of them, (laughs) but if you're looking for like a regular, just you know, fantastic fit for your student Then I'm your girl. And I really feel strongly that a lot of families were missing information, especially about finances. And there were a lot of misnomers about higher ed that I felt like students just didn't have access to. And so really work hard um, with universities to kind of curate content that helps fill that need.
0: Well, thank you. I'm sure my audience is very interested in learning more about how you can help them and learn more about financial aid and maximizing FAFSA. First, we are in Southern California. Most of my audience are typically, I'm going to say upper middle class. They can afford college. They can go out of school, but I've been communicating and recommending everybody fill out FAFSA this year, because things have changed, and I'll let you talk talk on, on that topic, but even myself with our third child, he's a senior now in high school, I completed the FAFSA application waiting for a response, and to me, I said, why didn't I do this with my first two children, with my first two daughters uh, that went off to college? Because it was easy, and I don't know, I don't know if we're going to get anything, maybe just a small amount, is it worth that time, but I'm going to let you take the stage and talk about FAFSA. What it is, right? It is free, basically, assistance, free uh, money that can help a college student and a parent uh, attend college. So, Christy, why FAFSA?
1: Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the FAFSA form, which stands for Free Application for Financial Student Aid. And it's a government form, it's based on your taxes. So unless you're doing something illegal, which is a whole nother discussion, um, you should all have access to that information very easily. But it's a great form that basically assesses from the government's perspective what you're able to contribute towards school. Some universities use what's called a CSS profile, and sometimes they require it. It just depends on what type of financial format they have. But both of those forms, the whole purpose is... You know, what's your income? What are your expenses? What can you afford? And, you know, you may disagree a little bit about what it says you can afford, but the goal is to determine that. And so in the past, I think two years, the government has passed legislation called the Simplification Act that really allowed the government to kind of narrow down that form. It used to be way over a hundred questions and now I think it sits in the thirties. And so it's much simpler to fill out. It for a lot of families, whatever your Tax forms were it imports that information automatically, so you don't have to sit down and go find your filing and, and then bring it back. Um, I think there's two important things to um, know right now about the FAFSA. So it's it's early February when we're recording this, and so if you are like me and you have a queue and sometimes you don't get to it for a couple weeks, I have seen several headlines this week that talk about the delay until March when if you filled out your FAFSA if you're a senior family, then the universities will not receive that information until March. And so you may see a little bit of delay in terms of what your financial aid packets will be, especially if you've had other children like you have, Michael. Um, You know, usually February, March is when you get that kind of packet. And it may be closer to April, May now because of the delay. But the delay is really good. I think they're actually updating and attributing the calculations for inflation. And we want them to do that, right? Like the economy has changed since before COVID and we want them to change it. And so I think it's positive. It does make it really hard for financial aid offices, but it's a form that is really helpful. It's like you said, it's a lot more simple than it was now. And if you want, you know, we can talk a little bit about why, you know, why would you fill it out? Why would you, why would you waste your time? Some people feel like, but I know for some states, like I'm in Alabama and it's a graduation requirement to fill it out. Now you can pursue wow. a waiver with your counselor. Yeah. yeah. And and a lot of families that especially high wealth families will do that. But even I, you know, have high wealth families that I tell like, go ahead and fill it out. And there's a few reasons why. One is because there are some universities that will not look at merit, which is grade based, without some sort of baseline. And so, you know, don't, I don't feel like you should hamstring your student by not disclosing that information. You know, I mean, you, you don't want them to not be considered if that's the policy of the university. And of course, as you know, I'm sure you, you talk to so many students and they have all these stories that are so fantastic. You're such a great communicator, Michael. All universities handle these policies differently. And so you've got to look at every university, but there are cases where you have to submit a FAFSA to be considered for some scholarships. And so, you know, submit that. I think the biggest, you know, really relevant reason right now is because the economy and our jobs are changing. If COVID taught us one thing, it was that we live in a world of constant change. And so there are universities that if you don't submit your FAFSA your first year, or say in two years you lost your job, well, they couldn't go back as an attribute baseline to help you. And so, you know, it's really not hurting anything by submitting it. And you just never know. You never know um, how much you may or may not actually get. Even if you're a high wealth individual and you feel like you won't qualify for a Pell grant, that's what a lot of students are really looking for. You could qualify for a federal direct student loan. And that could be a benefit. Again, if something happened and you accidentally needed that money and access to it, then it would actually give you the benefit for that. So, you know... You could be eligible and not realize it. You could do it to be considered for some merit-based aid. It could be your only chance to apply for aid. You know, say they become a junior later on, two years down the line. And again, they have to have that as the baseline. Ivy League and a bunch of other select schools don't give merit-based awards. And so, you know, that's something to consider. Again, if you're applying to all select schools, Look at their policies. If you're applying to ones that, you know, are generally in a mid to small range student body policy, then go ahead and, and take a look. But I always say that it's worth it if for no other reason just to have it on file, because you just can't predict the future.
0: Right. And that and that's some great advice and recommendations. A couple things I that you said a lot that I think my audience could take away. But after you fill out that application, which I highly recommend you do, and yes, it's only 25, 30 questions. I don't even know what the former ones used to look like. I periodically look on the FAFSA website and it says pending review. So my question to you is, and you answered it a little bit. We probably won't hear until maybe March, which is fine because we're starting to get some of the financial aid packages. Senior parents and seniors are getting their financial aid package back as we speak today but that's on top of it are they really reviewing it like here we are through the month of february and then when we hear in march give my audience and listeners some ranges because i'm kind of curious like a wealthy if i'm sitting here in newport beach saying i don't need fafsa i don't want to fill it out but what what are some of your students and parents and clients uh, getting receiving in terms of ballpark figures from different universities
1: It's a tricky thing because every family's financial picture looks different, right? According to your 529, according to your assets, you know, if you have a second or third home, if you're a personal business owner, you know, if you own the business and how you attribute those assets. But I see families that are within, you know, the 200 range that still occasionally will qualify simply because they have their arrangement of things really allows them to maximize.
0: And you said something that caught my eye. You said that they can afford. So kind of what do they look at to determine what you can afford, although you might be in that higher wealth bracket or vice versa?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. They're really looking to see how much of your income is, I don't want to say disposable, but usable. And so like if you like for the military, for example, if you have X amount of dollars as your salary, but, you know, really some of that salary goes to benefits like housing, car education, then obviously your salary is a lot less because it's attributed to benefits. And so that was like one of the things that they tightened up with this update was that if you received, I'm just going to throw a number out. $100,000, but say, you know, 30 of that went to your benefits, your education, your car, your housing, if you're in the military, then your salary would appear overinflated. And so it really does situation.
0: Right. You talked about the tax returns. So the tax returns automatically get sent. To each university, and, and and you can confirm this because I did it myself on FAFSA, you click each college. So for example, my son had 15 universities. You click what college it is. So that information, and obviously as a parent, I'm giving them the authorization to do it. And my son exactly. creates an account too, which we can kind of talk about. So they're sending the tax returns to all these schools along with all my applications and- whatever what the the X amount that that I qualify for or not qualify for. But are they looking when they look at the tax returns, what are they looking at to say, okay, that's disposable, that's not disposable, because the tax return only tells you how much you you're earned that year.
1: Well the great thing that I love about the FAFSA is that you're you fortunately are not sending your whole return. You're just sending kind of like a summary of it. And the purpose of you know, the formula of the FAFSA really is to determine what's called an SAI, the Student Aid Index. And that's kind of a a formula that they have within the the FAFSA form that really determines, you know, this family has like $10,000 to go towards education. And I will say one thing I forgot to add, Michael, is that we are in a place right now where with these changes, siblings at the moment are not considered, and so like you have two older students, if they're in school right now, you know, prior to this time, you could say like, you know, student one, student two are in school. This is how much money is going towards that. And of course, they would see that because maybe you filed before, but now they're not attributing siblings. And so really, it's the onus is on the university to account for that. But that gives you a great appeal option as a parent but you can't really appeal if you haven't completed your FAFSA to say like listen I have two other kids look one's at you right. know pen and one's at brown give me a break
0: <laughs> right right so is there anything else that you think my audience should know or be aware of on FAFSA obviously you think we're drilling the point home that you should apply and let's wait and see what you get. It's very easy and simple. uh, But are we missing anything here?
1: You mentioned that your son also has to apply. And that's a component that I think for a lot of parents is surprising that there's sort of two contributors, what they call contributors. And one is the parents and one is the student. And so um, both of you have to get what's called an FSA ID and it can take some time. So, in, if you have a junior right now in October when it opens again, you know, don't wait till December to log in and try to get your FSA ID. That's just going to make things crazy. Go ahead and apply for it. And then you, you've got it. If you're in the pool right now as a senior family, I would just say keep watching. Because I think your pending status will will probably move faster than you think. They're just taking time to make sure that they've attributed the inflation pieces correctly, which we want them to do. Because I've read a few articles, Michael, that say it could issue you more money. And we want that. We want that. And so it's an exciting thing. But just in general about the FAFSA, I would just really know that you've got to get the ID. Um, It opens October 1st. Normally for any other family, this is this year is a little bit of anomaly. And then um, if, you know, I'm divorced. And so if you're in that camp, the benefit now this year, the other big change is that only one parent has to apply. And so this is good if you feel like, you know, you're in a situation where you're not sure which one, um, work with a third party to do that. But their stipulation is that the parent that contributes the most money to the student, not that receives the most you know, not, not the one that spends the most or that gets the most, you know, sends the most child support, but the one that contributes the most money towards the child's expenses or that makes the most money. So, you know, if you don't want to send your tax form to your ex, then work with a third party, you know, to do that. But I think, again, that's a great benefit. So far, they're not asking for both parents. So, you know, choose the one that makes the most. So you have the most appeals and, you know, take it from there. But again, I I think the changes are great and I think you'll see a lot of benefits from it. It is a strange year. I know it's hard to see it still pending, but I think they'll be good.
0: So let's move on to scholarships and other areas of financial aid. I know, right, A senior, as they just took all of September and October filling out applications, and now they got to go fill out potentially, well, FAFSA, and then other applications and write essays for potential scholarships. I know my son did one, uh, at, actually did two for a couple other schools, but let's talk about the scholarships. And I know we talked earlier, there's a lot of opportunity with scholarships at mid-sized universities, SLA, small liberal arts schools, versus the larger universities, what kind of tips and advice can you give on scholarships?
1: Well, I sort of divide out scholarships into three buckets. And the first one is merit-based. And so that's based on your student's talent profile, like their grades, their test score, the community service that they've done. And typically those are within the university itself. So that's money that the student looks at from the university, the university stewards. Some of those have you know, deadlines within, like if you're looking at an honors program or, you know, a biology scholarship. But all those are based on your student's talent profile, you know, the president's scholarship, that kind of thing. Um, the second bucket is need based aid. And that would be aid that, you know, comes from the FAFSA information where it determines, you know, you've got a significant gap or you can only contribute $1,000 to school. And then the university goes back and says, you know, based on this, we, we will give you a little bit more. And then, you know, the third one is called um, self-help, and that's really outside scholarships. And so we say outside because it's outside of the university, right? Like the university has no stewardship or control over it. So an example that I always give is like the Bill and Melinda Gates scholarship, their foundation. And so those scholarships, I feel like, have a lot of potential for students because, you know, especially if you have an idea of your major, you can kind of Google different things about it and, and see, you know, what's available. And then generally speaking, you know, your admissions counselor should really be able to help you regarding scholarships that you might be eligible for at your university. Now I do tell students, you know, don't email your admission counselor and go, what scholarships are there? I mean, that's not helpful. Don't look like you're in third grade, do some research. You are on the cusp of being a young adult. So act like one, you know, the better question is, I see these three scholarships, which do you think would be the best for me? They can look at your application. They can look at your profile and kind of make that determination. But there's, there is a lot of money out there that, you know, I have a philosophy of many streams equal one river. And if you're willing to to do a few essays, I mean, say you got, you know, two or three two $3,000 scholarships. I mean, even if you got Three or four, like that's almost your room and board. That's amazing.
0: Absolutely. What I want to talk next on is as you were talking about that, you're talking about scholarships because I'm good. As a senior, I have a senior son, my my last my last child going through this process. It's really right. It resonates, and here I am, kind of helping and doing the self service to help students and parents with the college search and admission process, like yourself. As students are hearing. back from their universities, either getting accepted or rejected. Uh, They're also getting deferred at this time. And I've highly recommended letter of continued interest, LOCI, L-O-C-I, right? So what's your experience with LOCI and what do you recommend? And I ask that because my son just sent off a letter to a university because they wanted to you, you qualify, but we're still waiting to meet, right, or yield, or see what other students are finishing with their fall semester grades, and we need more information from you. But what's your take on LOCI, Letter of Continued Interest?
1: I think they're really important, and demonstrated interest is a big deal. It, it is one of those ugly parts of admissions that I don't like. But the truth of the matter is, if you have a pool of 3,000 students or let's just say 10,000, which is a reality for a lot of schools, you've got counselors that have to know who to focus on. They're going to focus on the ones that demonstrate the most interest. And so those lucky letters are really important because, you know, if they have a pool of a thousand deferred, who do they focus on? And how do you know who actually really wants to come or was like, meh, I'm on the line. And so, you know, anything you can do to show that demonstrated interest, whether it's your letter, whether it's a counselor letter, whether, you know, it's opening the emails. I know that really sounds silly, but just the time that it takes, um, you know, working with your admission counselor to talk to different professors about their programs, all those things show like, I'm serious about you and I'm worth it. I'm worth your time, buddy. Focus on me. Um, otherwise, it's just really hard to know. You know, counselors have so many students both in high school and in college, but college counselors can't throw a dart in the air and know who to focus on. And so help them narrow their field, help them know where to put their focus by really doing that demonstrated interest. And if they email you, email them back and email them back like a professional, sign your name to that email. You're not a nameless you know, student, sign your name, tell them thank you, finish your sentences and complete sentences. This is not a text. You know, be the professional that you have been raised to be.
0: And I always recommend standing out, right? Separating yourself. What are you doing to separate yourself so you've validated that letter to continued interest? As we go into the next upcoming months, there's a lot of now students are hearing back from universities. There's the welcome student admit day, right? Continue starting in February, March, and April. College visits. Now, I highly recommend I talk to students and I said by your senior year before the fall starts, before you apply, you should you should visit schools that you are looking uh, that you want to apply to. And then if you kind of come in that situation where you don't know where you want to go to school or just the resources aren't there and you're going to wait until your spring semester and you're going to visit some of the schools that you get in, that's the time to do it. I have my opinions and takes on what to do at college visits when you go to a student admit day, on top of going and signing up and registering. I want my audience to hear from you what you think about college visits, what that student and parent should be doing.
1: So, you know, admit days are a lot like the website. They're super flashy and everything's perfect. Usually the lines are, you know, cut right before you go. <laughs> I mean, it's just they want you to, to look your best and they're the host right? They want to look their best for you. While you're there, you know, usually you eat in the cafeteria. Ask a student, hey, tell me about your experience here. What made you choose to come here? You know, ask them what they think. And always, always, if you have the opportunity, sit down and talk to professors while you're there. Because no matter the size of the school, they are stewarding the program that you will be in. And if you're at a really big school and it's, you know, all your classes are taught by TAs, they've chosen that TA. You know, they are doing their research, they're doing other things. If you're at a a small to mid-sized school, the actual professor has a terminal degree, which means that they've gotten their best top degree in their field. It doesn't mean that they're dying. (laughs) But, you know, take the time to get to know them because they will be the ones that refer you for internships. They will be the ones that refer you for jobs. And You know, talk to them. Um, I always tell students the top two things to ask professors when you sit down with them are where are your students being hired and where are your students interning. And these are just great gauges for you to kind of understand and get inspired and, you know, understand what their relationships are and what their network is. And if scholarships are an issue or a priority for you, ask the other important third question, which is, you know, talk to me about your upperclassmen scholarships. Because a lot of departments have those and that face-to-face interface really helps you understand what your potential financially could be. Even if it's again like two or three thousand dollars, that's a that's a good amount, you know. But usually those are upperclassmen level scholarships because they don't want you to be hooked in for four years and then feel like you can't change your major.
0: Christy just mentioned some good questions to ask a professor when you're on that campus. One, is right. where are your internships? Where are people getting hired? Those are great, great questions. I love to sit down and talk to a professor or dean of communications and, and find out some of those questions. But what are some deeper questions that you can ask that dean or that professor specifically about maybe the classes they're taking freshman year to sophomore year how busy it is? What are some other questions, advice that you can give besides those two excellent ones you talked about, careers and internships?
1: Research is a big one. And so if you're sitting in between, you know, two majors or maybe you're interested in a major and there's a concentration that you're interested in, then ask questions about those things. How do those things combine? Can you do both these things together? If you're thinking of a double major, this is a great time to ask, you know, can I, can I really feasibly double major in these things? You know, like as an example, you can't usually double major in nursing and something else. <laughs> you know, nursing will take up all of your time, and so you know, ask those questions about it. Ask them about you know what your schedule typically looks like. If you're in a pre-professional program, usually your schedule is kind of already determined for you, and ask ask those questions. If you're in a, a non-pre-professional program, like say biology, or you're in you know business, ask them what a typical schedule will look like, and then if you're really interested in the classes for that major, ask them, you know, about specific classes in those major. You know, who who are the best teachers? Why? Why are these classes important? Can I interchange some of these classes? I don't, I'm not really interested in this. Can I do this? If I add in this as a concentration, what does that do? Is it going to cost me extra money? And then another great option, if this interests you at all, which I, you know, did not do when I was in, in college and I wish I had, is study abroad. You know, a lot of programs will allow for study abroad for a semester. So it's important from the beginning for you to know where does that fit? If I opt to do that, where does that fit into my schedule? Because again, if you're a nursing major, that might be difficult, but you could do it over the summer. If you're a business major, you know, can you take business classes at their London campus, which who would not want to do that?
0: Study abroad. It's amazing because some of my episodes on the student manager have students talking about studying abroad and where to go and helping out parents and what to do, what to, from start to finish, right? Because I think that is a great experience and that's a whole nother episode in itself. Before I finish up, I want to talk about your experience because it's a time to showcase a small University, I'm very familiar with because they have a strong college basketball team. But let's talk about Samford University. I did not say Stanford. I said (laughs) Samford as in Bulldogs, right? Because my audience might be talking about, oh, he just said Stanford. No, they don't even know where Samford is. Casey, where's Samford?
1: It's in Birmingham, Alabama. I should have worn my Sam Not Stan shirt because we actually have those. And when I recruited for them, I used to have a shirt that would say Sam Not Stan because, you know, the counselor would introduce me. And um, it is a fantastic school. We live in Birmingham, which is like the health and business mecca of the South. And so... You know, if like as a great example, you know, Sanford works with eight hospitals, which really helps your residency and supervision. So if you're looking into the medical field, ask, you know, how many hospitals do you work with? important question. You know, if it's two, then think about all the other kids that you're fighting for positions for. So, you know, it's a, and we're a division one school, Sanford is. And so uh, great basketball football is getting there, but man, their basketball team. I was in school, Michael, when we went to the NCAA tournament twice and it was so fantastic. It dates me.
0: What is your favorite part of the campus? Like when you talk about it, when I have students on, I always talk about, you know, where do you like to hang out? What's your favorite memory, or you know, of Samford? What would it be? Sell it. I mean, someone from Southern California, I know a Samford, but people are like, why would I go to Birmingham? Which they might not. They they'd rather go to Auburn or Alabama from the SEC schools. But why Samford? Maybe even locally, that are in the South. For the people that are listening, why Samford? Where would you hang out? What would you showcase?
1: I have a ton of favorite spots on campus. It has a very classical, you know, old world style look to it. You know, lots of buildings with columns, you know, typical university. But it is nestled in one of the best places in Birmingham, in Homewood. And it has a ton of coffee shops and cafes. And it's great little music spots and karaoke. There's also a ton of fantastic food. You know, you can't get enough barbecue here if that's your thing. And then, you know... In terms of location, you're four hours from the beach, four hours from the mountains. I feel like you're just tucked into some really great things. But it, it's a fantastic little community, super safe. Um, you can practically walk to Target. So if you don't have a car when you start your freshman year, that's a bonus. And I mean, it's just, it's a fantastic place. It is, you know, mid-sized. It's about 4,000 undergrad students now. But being residential really allows for a lot of community feel. And, and your students talk about that a lot, you know, connectedness and how that works or doesn't work for some students. Generally, you know, there's flaws with every school. And so no school is perfect by any means, but they do a really good job of connecting and doing things with students. I always have an intern from Stanford now, no complaints. They're always just really solid, genuine, authentic students. And that's I think what a lot of students are looking for now is genuine community and relationships.
0: A lot of times when I'm talking to my guests, I reiterate everything works out. Everything happens for a reason. There's a fit for everybody. There's over 400 big universities out there. What recommendation and advice as we wrap up would you give to a student and a parent listening or going through that entire college search and admission process, right? I might be a client of yours, what's that one piece of advice that you're giving to that student and parent?
1: I think connecting with professors is good, but you can do that on campus. If your university that you're looking for offers an overnight, do it. Do it, do it, do it. If they offer an overnight where you can go and be a college student for a day, it's the most fantastic experience because literally your parents drop you off and you have a student that you stay with, they're vetted, mom and dad, don't worry, you know, the admissions office has checked that they're not crazy. And you sleep in the dorm room, you go to a class just like a college student, you eat in the cafeteria, you walk around like a college student. And if you want to know and picture yourself there as an actual student, there is no better way to do it. I mean, you talk about a try on experience. If there's an overnight, absolutely do it. And not all schools do it. And it's such a shame. I know that it's a lot of work, but it it's so worth it because you just get to hang out and kind of understand like, is this really me? Do I see myself here? Is this where I belong? Do I feel like I belong? And I think that's a good question when you're visiting. And if you don't have the opportunity to visit a school, then, you know, really ask to like a lot of students, uh, schools have student ambassadors, ask those to talk to those students, ask to talk to the professors, um, get beyond, you know, the the glass plate at the front and go back into the kitchen and say, hey, you know, tell me about your experience. And you do a great job of helping students really understand their experience. But if you're looking at a school that maybe Michael hasn't featured on the student manager, then, you know, ask those questions.
0: Excellent advice. And I'll take it one step further. That overnight, I, I mean, that's what I preach to all my guests and friends and students, and even my son, we're going to visit a couple more schools, but we set up these meetings. We also set up where friends have a kid where they can go out, join the Greek life with them that night or whatever. If they're a GDI goddamn individual hanging out, where am I going to hang out? Let your kid be a kid for the night. You can just go stay at a hotel, go to a local pub yes. bar and meet yes. up with your kid after. That's what really has helped my, uh, friends that have kids that have gone on to universities as well as my own kids. And that's what we're doing Uh, in the next 30 days, visiting colleges and he's hanging out with students. He's hanging out, meeting professors and deans. So I highly recommend that. I want to say thank you very much for joining my podcast. I'm going to give you the opportunity to let my audience know if they want to hear more from you. They want to maybe talk to you and have a free consultation before you hire them and and they become one of your clients. How can they get a hold of Christy still?
1: You can go to my website. It's kc360.co, not .com. I've cut down on my spam with that site and it's been fantastic. And if you are really struggling with your FAFSA, I work with a partner called MyCap and they, you can pay, I feel like it's a reasonable amount, $350 and they will go line by line with you and maximize your FAFSA. And so that, if you're a family that isn't sure about filling it out. If you look at these questions and you're not or especially if you're a business owner, or you have a special circumstance within your family, you know, use my cap. Um, I have a coupon on my website for 15% off, which I know is not a lot, but it's something. And 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 utilize them. They're experts in this field. A lot of us have financial advisors, which I think is great. These folks are experts in the FAFSA and they will go line by line with you to help. There's a scholarship database that they have. You can go in and actually fill in your scholarships and your admission information so that you don't have to create your own Excel list. You can have, you know, an apples to apples experience. Um, You can look at three schools for free if you're just curious, but utilize them if you have questions about your FAFSA or you just want to dabble in it. If you're a junior family and you're just like, what is this going to be? It takes out a lot of the anxiety and cannot recommend them enough I've not had a single family that have just said this was terrible (laughs) you know we all need help when it comes to that so you know give me a call um, you know utilize them as a partner I don't know everything about the FAFSA but they do they do
0: Christy at kc360.co joining the student manager Fonger News out